welcome to Writers' Festival Radio, broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered lands of the Algonquin Anishinaabe Nation. My name is Neil Wilson, a co-founder of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, and the Republic of Childhood, our programming for children and youth. And I'm hosting a series of six podcasts which explore education in the face of environmental crisis, which is the tagline of a book, Teaching in the Anthropocene, a pan-Canadian collection of 43 short essays by leading educators and researchers edited by Alicia Farrell, Candy Skyhar, Michelle Lamb, with illustrations and copy editing by Grace Stone. It is published by Canadian Scholars and was released on July 29, 2022. As the editors write in the introduction, quote, we feel compelled to ask if the climate crisis expands the ethical obligations of teachers to include ensuring livable lives for children yet to come. If not, what can it possibly mean to teach in a world that is prepared to go on without us? It is becoming increasingly apparent that technocratic frameworks and conventional teaching methods are insufficient in the face of climate change dilemmas that are complex, integrative, multi-perspectival, and effectively charged. Time is of the essence and young people feel it. Fueled by concerns for their future and angered by the inaction of adults, students across the globe continue to walk out of school on Fridays to participate in climate strikes. Yet, in the field of education, we have yet to respond in any significant way to the danger the climate crisis poses to young people we teach. In the second of our series of six podcasts, I spoke with Alicia Farrow, one of the editors of the collection, Teaching in the Anthropocene, and Alicia shared some of her research and proactive practices using arts-based methods like playwriting, forum theater, narrative photography, and poetic inquiry. Today, for our third podcast, it is my distinct pleasure to be in conversation with Maria Van Vallis. Maria is currently a doctoral candidate in the Curriculum and Pedagogy Program of the Department of Curriculum, Teaching and Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. Her research focuses on climate justice education that nurtures meaning, purpose and hope in learners. She has been an educator in the public school system in Ontario and has worked for many years as a facilitator of teacher professional learning and as a curriculum consultant. She has participated in diverse educational projects and has been deeply committed to reflexive practices within education. She is currently an instructor in the Master of Teaching program at OISE University of Toronto. Welcome to Writers' Festival Radio, Maria. Thank you so much, Neil. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad you could join us today. Maria, in your piece entitled Nurturing Embodied Agency in Response to Climate Anxiety, Exploring Pedagogical Possibilities, you write, educators within the Canadian settler colonial context might best support the well-being of learners by framing climate change as a complex, interdisciplinary, political issue, engaging controversy and complexity directly, making space for authentic emotions to surface when grappling with ecological loss in the context of oppressive paradigms and logic, 
and nurturing more relational understandings of agency and connectedness. You know, in, in unpacking this powerful statement, you might also bring in your concept of learner agency, which you say involves a shift in the ownership of learning from the teacher to the student. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, having been an educator for many years and having taught about climate change uh, and reflected on what it meant to teach about climate change, this is really what's prompted my own research and my shift from the classroom into uh, doing the research that I'm doing around climate justice education. And one of the things that I have been so aware of as an educator is the way in which the neoliberal structures really foreclose a lot of possibility of what happens in, in education and how, as educators, we are constantly having to, um, you know, elbow and resist a lot of these structures. And what these structures do is foreclose a, a sense of possibility because they, they ultimately are encouraging and creating systems where we're preparing students for this future that's already been dictated, you know, the way that we're going to fit into an existing system. But this system has proven to be absolutely unsustainable and unhealthy for our communities. And that neoliberalism operates in these distinct ways around, for example, really limiting the democratic um, the democratic possibilities that we explore with students. So being afraid of engaging the political, the conflictual, the controversial in our classrooms. And yet research shows that it's our classrooms, particularly within public education, that are amongst the most promising sites for this kind of deliberation and for enabling students to develop a sense of, of political agency in their communities. Um, you know, also that when we do engage these issues of confronting what's going on in our communities and what's happening in the lives of our students, there are emotions that are involved with that. And so again, a neoliberal paradigm really does not bring the full person, the whole person into the educational experience. It's much more cognitive, standardized, uh, limiting. And so it's really important that we, we want to teach the whole person and create the space to work with our emotions and even some of the sadness that we might feel about what's happening. And of course, these more relational understandings about our interconnection with the natural world, this has also been severed. And neoliberal logics ultimately create this sense of uh, technocratic optimism, um, you know, enabling us to just sort of fall into systems that ultimately are extractive. And so the kind of agency I'm talking about and that I want us to think about as educators is that agency capable of transformation of these structures and systems because they are limiting a sense of a, 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 an experience of flourishing within our communities. So that's really what I'm focused on, this transformative agency that enables and supports young people to create systems change. You, you say that the deep learning gripping large numbers of young people is not being found in the pages of a textbook, but in the curriculum of ecological collapse. Those are powerful words. And what you're advocating is, 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 a, is a, a revolutionary movement in a sense, you know, that includes 
protesting and taking the classroom onto the street. Now, how does that, how is that going to work? Well, Neil, I think what's really important to understand, like, again, even, even the word radical and how much fear is built around it when it does mean to get at the root of things. And so we have to get at the root of what is creating such, such apocalyptic scenarios. And I don't, I, I, it's not that I want to be in, in, in the doom and gloom, but it's about facing the reality. If you've read the IPCC reports, we are well aware of what's going on. We're well aware of the both present and future. We've had the floods in Pakistan, the wildfires going on around the world. So if that isn't radical, <laughs> if we don't consider what is happening in our world radical, I, I would have a hard time if we're not dissociating, not to see what's happening already as radical. And therefore, we do need a radical response. But that radical response shouldn't be something we, we fear, but rather something that we embrace. Because it's about, it's about opening up the possibility of what we are capable of as human beings. That we are, in fact, that there is more to who we are, that we're capable of tremendous relationality. That, again, these structures and systems inhibit. Um, I think a lot of teachers are aware of these, these limits and actually feel a lot of frustration within education systems about these limits. But actually, what I do want to focus on is the young people themselves and what it means to center their voices. And in my own research, I did include, I, I, I looked at what teachers are doing across uh, the Canadian context, uh, the settler colonial context, and how they're teaching for these issues, but I included youth activists in my research. And I can tell you that the depth of grief and despair that they communicated to me was incredibly sobering. And I was not, you know, I was not ignorant of what it means to sort of face what's going on in the world. But it really did, it really did have an impact on me to hear the depth of what young people are carrying. And that, that what they are carrying and how they see their future, if we looked at it from a paradigm of, for example, within Indigenous, distinct Indigenous knowledge system, seven generations, we have failed young people. And so we have to look at our education system. And we have to look at how we are not going to fail people, young people in this moment. And what it is they need from us and the kind of support that they need from us to become and, and to enact their empowerment for change. And we see them enacting that empowerment in distinct communities around the world. And that's what we should be focusing on. Yes, you, you, you also, um, Maria, write about uh, citizenship education frameworks. Can you explain that uh, to us and our, and our listeners and um, how that works in terms of centering the voices of young people? Mm -hmm. Well, I think most provincial and territorial curricula have some 
work with some forms of citizenship education frameworks. How are we going to educate for, for citizenship? And this, this is a very contested field within you know, academic research and within education. From, you know, for example, the idea that citizenship education should be learning about our political structures and systems and how to you know, work within them to make change, for example. Um, how to deliberate, how to uh, become involved in our communities. <clears throat> and if we look at this within environmental citizenship, it would, it would be things like, you know, recycling and being a, bringing our, you know, reusable water bottle or, you know, all these different ways that we can engage with citizenship. But I think that in many respects, some of these frameworks have, have been very limiting. Even when we've moved to global citizenship education frameworks, um, you know, critiques of these by scholars like Karen Pashby, Vanessa Andriotti, Lynette Schultz, like critique this idea that it's still, it's still in this realm of, uh, you know, charitable citizenship. It's not really looking at the transformation of structures and systems. It's not really looking at the history of colonialism within our communities and how that has limited but also erased, erased important dimensions of citizenship. So for example, in the place where I live, it is, it is dish with one spoon treaty territory. And as I've come to understand it, as I've been taught, there's the dish with one spoon treaty is actually, it's actually made up of three clear citizenship laws. Take only what you need, leave something for others, and keep it clean. We're not, we're not living by that. <laughs> you know, those, those of us, particularly within the, the settler governmental systems, we're not honoring that framework of citizenship. So I, 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 I think within education, we need to be considering what frameworks are animating how we are teaching. What about, for example, the work of, you know, Ed O'Sullivan, the, the One Earth Community, looking at citizenship in this much more expansive way, or within a sense of our deep interconnectedness and interrelationality? What if that were centered in our conceptualizations of citizenship? How would our, how would our lives be different? Our actions be different? Our communities be different? Uh, if we were operating from different dimensions and paradigms of citizenship on this planet and in our communities. So that's what I'm inviting, you know, is, is to think about uh, what frameworks are animating how we teach for citizenship. How do you know that the people that are going into education are the right people to take on, I would say, one of the most challenging professions that there can be given the climate crisis. I agree. I think that education has become, it has always been incredibly important for the health of our communities. Uh, but I agree with you, Neil, it's never been more important. The complexity and the courage that is um, required of teachers in these times is substantial. And I think that it's not about whether the teachers are the right people. It's about whether our teacher education programming is creating the right conditions, is actually centering 
these the climate crossroads and that is able to integrate a lot of what the movements that we've seen in education because this does involve issues of equity this does involve issues of settler colonialism the climate crisis involves many of the issues that have I, I think been involved in education but at the same time it does create a very different frame and paradigm from which we need to do our work in educating teachers. So that's what I'm really um, hoping that my own research helps to contribute to that as well, is helping to support the ways in which we think about teacher education in this climate crisis beyond, beyond education for sustainability. And I just want to say, I just want to, if I could just add, I mean, this is something that really came from the youth activists um, involved in, in the research project. They themselves said that this overemphasis on individual action, which is very much part of a neoliberal paradigm, that's all focused on the individual and individual agency and what you can do and what you can buy <laughs> to buy our way out of the climate crisis, which is not possible. Um, they were really clear that that overemphasis on the individual actually worsened their mental health because it, they knew, they were very aware that that was not enough and they were very hungry for engagements with more collective understandings of systems change of action and it was their involvement in the climate movement that actually supported their well-being and I have uh, an article that will be coming out about that that centers their voices and what they're saying needs to happen within education and yet they are learning so much by being involved in social movements organizing research communication skills relationship skills they're learning an incredible amount of what we might term, the, you know, these competencies within education. They're actually gaining tremendous uh, competence uh, in very, very important um, understandings and, and skills. You know, again, the electoral system is but one mechanism to enact our citizenship, but to, but to abandon the consequences of who wields power in our society is irresponsible because we know that that matters. We know that that has profound implications for the health and well-being of our communities. We know that has profound implications for climate action. We know that has profound implications for um, healthcare, education. So it is one dimension of what it is to enact you know, care within our communities and enact agency within our communities, yet it remains incredibly important. Is politics viable for some of these, these young people or do you think we're seeing more and more that activism um, or can you combine them? Well, I think, I mean, these things are really interconnected because I think they're, they, they're, they're these are fluid things. Like being involved in a movement um, may result in, you know, someone wanting to step forward for political office, for example. Uh, but it, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's um, wise to consider them either or. I think there's all of these different ways to engage the political because 
these are climate is is a profoundly political issue, right? It, it is about how power and how resources are hoarded, shared, distributed. Um, the, the 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 paradigms with which we are thinking about you know the planet, uh, whether it's extractive and you know enclosing what is actually shared among us, uh, that's profoundly political. So I think that you know encouraging young people to be involved in different ways in their city's climate action plans, for example, um, to supporting candidates who they feel are climate champions to engaging in protest and direct action. All of this exists along a continuum of the political, right? And I just think we should not be afraid of the political because it's, it's, it's really false to think that not engaging in these issues is apolitical. It's not. Because what it, what it allows is for these issues to actually not be addressed or to allow a vacuum to be filled by those with with a more like a less uh, collectivist agenda. Every time we step into a classroom, whether that that is online or in person, the decisions that educators make have a profound impact on students and on the future. And we never know what it is that the seeds with which, you know, we the seeds that are planted with the decisions that we make, with the texts that we bring into the classroom, with the way we engage students, with the questions that we invite, with bringing as much of the wholeness of our students, um, you know, making space for that in our classrooms, the issues that we will discuss, the possibilities that we will explore, all of that has, I think, such a profound role to play in, in our societies and in our world. And teaching is, I think, always, always this profession of possibility, so long as we do not allow the neoliberal enclosure that we continue to resist and continue to open space for our imaginations that we have to do until, I think, our last breath is how I see it. That That's really... My, my philosophy that we always have to open that space, even, even when it's heavy, even when we're filled with grief at times and sadness, even that is a site for possibility and transformation. Our grief even carries profound seeds for transformation in it. So we have to remember that in education, that it, there is always so much that is possible in what happens with our learners and in the space that we share and create together. That was my edited conversation with Maria Van Vallis. Join me next time for a conversation with Candy Jones, who points out our need to respect and appreciate the value of rural knowledge and to rethink the dominant urban structure of critical pedagogy, which is insufficient in addressing the unique rural context. Thanks to all our patrons, volunteers, and donors. And thanks to the Government of Canada Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ottawa Public Library, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubay, Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. <laughs>